0: I don't know if uh I don't know about you guys, but I hope I hope this is true of everybody who's here today and listening online or whatever. Do you ever read through scripture and realized how blessed you are to have hope? There's something I, I don't I don't think I invented this by any stretch of the imagination, but I wonder why we have hope. We walk through this, this life and through this, this place. We experience death. We experience loss. We experience all these different things. We, and we experience glorious things as well. And, and we walk around and we would share more often when we get a new car, or a new job, or a new house, than we will share about the eternal hope that we actually carry. I don't mean to say that in like, how dare you? by by any means. But I, I sit sometimes, and I don't know about you, but and I wonder often how do people see us? I think sometimes it's healthy to to have some reflection into how how do I am I perceived by others? Am I friendly? Am I put off? Am I walking around like this the whole time? Like walk around Walmart with hoodie on and up and <laughs> earbuds in I don't want to talk to anybody I say that because I've been that guy I've been the guy who struggles and and goes through those things and goes into a Walmart or some some other store and, and I don't want to talk to anybody I'm having a bad day and Lord knows we're all okay to have bad days I know you guys have had bad days I have bad days everybody has bad days But we walk around, as Paul even said earlier, immeasurable hope. We have immeasurable hope. And I wonder, does anybody else who has no hope see the immeasurable hope that we carry? Again, we'd be so quick to run to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or X, I think it's now. Uh, Shows that I don't have that. And we would share all these other things when our kids do well in sports or when we have a new grandkid or, or we get a new job, like I said, or a new car and all these different things. And, and I think, well, those are wonderful things, right? And, and by no means does God look down upon the successes that he blesses us with in life But I wonder how often are we really sharing the immeasurable hope and not only how often are we sharing that immeasurable hope but what does it look like to share it? I think some people we pull out and I I could have brought one up here and there's nothing wrong with with tracks. There's nothing wrong with little pieces of information that you can pass out to people and a lot of those are are really good or if you drive down to Walmart yesterday or buy Walmart. I don't know why I keep bringing that up. Maybe because I was there yesterday but uh, or by Parkside over there, there, there's people holding up signs and Bibles, and there's, there's Bible passages. And I think that's great. And I wonder if you, like, how effective is it? And again, it's not against it. I'm not against it at all. I think it's amazing. And I love to see people out there sharing the gospel. But I wonder, why do we hesitate? And we get into today's text in Ephesians chapter 3, starting off, and I just titled it, I know we're dealing with technology issues here, so pray for Jim. (laughs) Pray for Jim. (laughs) Jim is trying really hard to get this stuff back up and running for us, and we need to pray for him on that and help out in any way we can. But I wonder how often do we even think about the mystery of the gospel and what it is. It's, it, it's not mysterious what the mystery is, by the way. Paul is going to expressly tell us what it is. And then I, I think as we look at that, how then do we share this mystery? How do we share in the mystery of the gospel? And what is that, really? So pray with me as we begin, and we'll jump right into today's text. Maybe a prayer thing every week, I think. No joking. No joking. God, I come before you just humbled by the very fact that you would choose us, that you would become man and that your son would live and die, having lived a perfect and spotless life. That you would call upon our names and and tell us to go forward and share with everybody else this same message of hope that we've been given and we, so are, we are so thankful for. God, I pray as I do every week that your words speak and not mine, that everything that we do here at Redwood would not just be about, it's not about the music, the, the, the preaching, and not about the fellowship that we have. If all of that goes on here, God, and we don't worship and honor you and put you in your first most place, it's all worthless and meaningless. God, let us be your agents of change in this lost and dying world. We live within the commission that you have granted us. God, I pray for your words to speak today and not my own. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start off in, in verse chapter 3. 3 of Ephesians, verse 1 through 6. And it just says this. Again, we we don't have that up on the screen. So if you have your Bibles, Bible apps, uh, a Bible you want to borrow from somebody, I I don't know, pair up with one another and read. uh, Do the old school thing says this, it says, for this reason, I emphasize that, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. I love it, just in the beginning of this, and I'll pause here for just a moment, but just in the beginning of this is I, Paul, for this reason, for the immeasurable hope that I carry, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ who have become slave to Jesus. In every facet of my life, I, Paul, For this reason, you could supplant your name in there in some ways. I, Matthew Phipps, or you and fill in your name. For this reason, I have become a prisoner to Christ. And the reason continues, that it's on the behalf of the outsider. It's on the behalf of the word Gentile, which we would use for the word outsider. Those who are not part of the nation of Israel was that Phrase. It didn't matter where they came from. They could be Samaritan, Roman, Greek, Persian, Babylonian. They were outsiders. They didn't belong to Yahweh. That's an important distinction because we don't always understand that. There's so many people, as I even mentioned before, they're Christian as a country song, drunk on Saturday, and church on Sunday. We laugh, but that's sad in some ways. I'm not picking on that, but it's, it's the fact that, that, that God has become some level of cultural acceptance, and yet the veracity, or the, the, the substance, I should rather say, is often missed. For this reason, I, Paul, became a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and not by my own doing. And I love that he hearkens back to it, that it was by revelation. And you've got to remember, right, where was Paul in, say, the middle of Acts or the beginning part of Acts? Was he not Saul? Does it not say in the book of Acts that he was breathing out murderous threats towards those who had followed the way or Christianity, Christ, before they be called Christians? They were called Christians. He was breathing out murderous threats and he went to the high priest and said, give me letters, O leader of the religious people of Israel, give me letters that give me permission to go and just get anybody I can. Excuse my microphone is moving around today. Maybe it's because I'm moving around. But in the midst of that, Paul, while breathing out murderous threats, and the word for that in Greek is a a funny little word called "empneon," and it really means that every fiber of Paul's being was in hatred towards Christians. Boy, this thing is really... I apologize. I'll try and move around less. That every fiber of Paul's existence was against Christ. While he was in the midst of that, he had a revelation, didn't he? The most real revelation that a person might get sometimes is he's walking onto Damascus, he's ready, he's got his warrants, he's ready to deliver them, he's ready to arrest people who are following Jesus and then bam, light, bam, blind. And then in the house on a street called Straight waiting for somebody to come and pray over him. And what does it say about Paul then? As, as the scales from, fell from his eyes, he regained his strength and was baptized. And what not only that, right, he was immediately converts to Christianity, right? He's baptized, right? Which I'm emphasizing that a little bit here. But he immediately from that moment does what? He goes and preaches. He doesn't need education, he doesn't need a class, he doesn't need a certificate. He's like, I gotta tell everybody else what just happened to me. And he does it to a point that they want to kill him. Isn't that great? He makes a Facebook post and he's deleted. Right? He doesn't take that immeasurable hope that he just received and then became like, well, I, you know I, I don't know, I don't know who I want to know. He immediately begins to declare the gospel to other people. And it says throughout the rest of the book of Acts, right, that Paul did that by going where first every time he went? He went to the synagogue. He never gave up on his brothers and sisters of nationality. But even then, when he goes back down to Jerusalem, right, and the the apostles, rightly so, are like, we don't know about this guy. He's kind of got a reputation. He's got a messy past. And he wants to go into the synagogues in Jerusalem. He wants to go into the temple and preach to those people. And he is convinced that he will win them to Christ. Yet that is not what God desired for him to do. For this reason, he became a prisoner of Christ on behalf of outsiders, Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace, and it continues, verse 5, right? When you, uh, Which was not made known, listen, to the sons of men in other generations as it has, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Then in all the generations of the past, you Gentiles were outside of it. It took physical altercation of your body to become part of the nation of Jerusalem. That's all I'll say on that. It took drastic things, physically, for you to be a part of Israel. But now, in all these other generations, that's never been the case. In all these generations, you were not allowed to be part of this, but now, is revealed to the apostles... This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, amen. As I mentioned last week, none of you in here are Jewish, except for like one person came up and said, I found out that on this part of my family, I'm part Jewish. but it doesn't matter if you were Jewish or Gentile. Now the mystery of the gospel that Paul is talking about is this mystery is that you have been let in. It's like, forgive me here, a little of my uncle maybe in this, but it's like when you drive by an old golf course that has been a private country club and you were never able to go there this, this analogy, by the way, is probably not as like concrete, but we'll play with it. And you drove by a private country club, and now it says, open to the public. And where you drove in before, and they turned you around because you didn't have the right card, you get to go and play nine or 18 holes. Or, or play with whatever analogy might fit there for you. But this mystery of the gospel is the fact that the Gentiles, the outsiders, are fellow heirs. I love the phrase there. Fellow heirs doesn't mean they get a smaller portion, by the way. It means they get an equal portion with you. It means that you are fully a member of this, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. To Paul, that must have been strange. It must have been equally strange when Peter had a similar experience, right? And we remember this. When the Gentiles first get the reception of the gospel, Peter, who is having a midday prayer session, right? And he maybe is getting hungry because it talks about what hour of the day it was. And it says that he saw what? A sheet being led down by the four corners and on it was all manner of animal. And to a Jew, that must have been really weird. Cloven-hoofed animals and all these other types of animals. They, they've been told, like pork, right, that they can't have and stuff like that. Maybe shellfish is on there. I don't know. And what does is, what is the message say? Greatest message, by the way, if you love to meet, eat meat. Especially if you're a fan of pork like I am. Rise, kill, and eat. Let no one call anything unclean which I have deemed clean. And Peter's a good Jew. Peter's a good, good Jew. You know, Lord, that nothing unclean has ever entered this mouth. He's meticulous. Don't call anything unclean that I have deemed clean. And what's funny about that is how God operates. Like, Peter, you're going to need a little bit more of a real, substantive example. So downstairs are a couple of Roman guards. And they're going to take you to a Roman. And you're going to go with them. And what's amazing is Peter does. Why? Because Peter, like Paul, is a prisoner of Christ. He understands very well. It's not up to him. That this gospel message, the mystery, as it's been sent out into the world, it's no longer just for you. And brothers and sisters, I'd say the same to you here today. It's not for you. It was for you, right? It's now for others. It's now for others. I'll ask the question now, and we'll come back to it in here. Who in your life right now, would you drop dead if they walked through these doors? maybe he won't drop dead but who would faint who would who in here if if so and so from your neighborhood your work your your place of business or school walked in here would you go i can't believe it there must be a god in heaven cuz so and so came here to church they are part of the mystery of the gospel god wants their life He doesn't want part of it. He doesn't want a Facebook post about it. He wants all of them. It says that God desires that no one would be separated from him. That's the desire. That's the mystery of the gospel. He took took a man completely opposed to him, right? And he made them, as he says in the book of Acts, he is my what? Chosen instrument to reach the Gentile world. This guy who had had nothing to do with Gentiles. And don't you love how God does that? You want to tell God your plans and he'll show you how it works, right? And Paul's like, I'll never, I don't like them Gentiles. I would never go over to those people. And God's like, really? You sure about that? Let me show you exactly what you're going to do, Paul, that you don't even realize that you're going to do. You will be my chosen instrument to reach to the Gentile world. And we're in Ephesus. Paul goes to Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi, Rome. Even reports that he goes all the way to Spain after his second imprisonment. He certainly reached out to the Gentile world. says in verse 7 here, of this gospel I was made a minister. means servant. It's where we get the word deacon. Servant. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. That's certainly true, isn't it? Paul thought he was following Yahweh, but he was working against Jesus. To me, though... I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the gathering, the bride, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you." which is your glory, Paul says. See, Paul's in prison. He's locked up. He's going through what he has. Uh, it, would, it would indicate that probably Paul is writing this letter after he'd been arrested in Jerusalem and is somewhat maybe up in house arrest in Rome. And you remember when the last time he was with the Ephesian elders in, in Acts, that they cried tears because they knew they would never see his face again? We don't have anything to say that he never saw the Ephesians again after that. But to them, that might have been it. Don't worry about me for the reason that I am in chains is for your sake, for your glory. And it makes me wonder if if he's talking about yours, he's using the, the larger version of that, your as in Gentiles' glory. Those who are outside the church. Often some of us think when we start doing God's will that, oh, that means everything's going to go right. <laughs> Who in here by a test of hands? You don't have to do that, I'm sorry. <laughs> Feel like that's true. That's not true. Those of us, when we decide to follow Christ, it might get harder. Your family might continue to have problems. There might be fighting. There might, you might lose a job. You might lose this. Your, your health might wane. All these things may happen. You might get thrown into prison. But it may be for the eternal glory of the kingdom of God. Not for the kingdom of Matt Phipps. This kingdom had an end date. And whether I realized it or not, that end date was when I was eight years old and I immersed, was immersed by my father in water because I believed that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. That kingdom died, was overtaken, and thwarted my god and what's funny about that is sometimes we say that and we don't realize that we've been trying to usurp the king after he took the throne that we freely gave him right i freely gave god this throne i said take it from me take all these problems take all these things and then i'm like but i want it back and the mystery of the gospel that was revealed to paul was that this message Wasn't for me. Everybody had that time that that message was for you. For me, I was eight years old. For you, I don't know what date that was. But that message was for you. And it's like the woman at the well. Don't you remember what the uh, the people in the in the town said to her? It's like, you once were what we were listening to, we have now heard for ourselves, and we no longer need your testimony. And we might some of us might read that, I'm like, well, I'd be offended can only be offended if it's about us see those people in that town they all came to jesus and they heard from the horse's mouth the gospel to the samaritans additionally for paul he understood that him being in jail whether house arrest or later in prison was for the eternal purpose of god i wonder how many roman centurions or roman guards became followers of christ because of paul all because they thought, I got to guard this dumb Jew. I got to guard this guy who's causing these problems in, in places like Ephesus, and they're, you know, they're, they're throwing all their silver away. They're doing all this stuff. They're getting rid of all this stuff. And now I got I to, this guy's a problem, only to find themselves believing in Jesus Christ through the mystery of the gospel, which was revealed to Paul for others. Man. I love Paul's humility. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, Paul had a healthy understanding of who he was, just like we all should. None of us should ever go into this this position of being a follower of Christ and think, look at me, man, God must love me. Look what he's doing. What a dangerous place to be. Paul had it all, lost it. And through losing it all, he realized his true purpose and what God was desiring for his life. Brothers and sisters, I I, I go into this, I spend some time, is, is Paul understood what it was to be a steward, a caretaker of the grace and mercies of Jesus Christ revealed through his good news. Paul understood his position. As the kids might say, he understood the assignment. Right, He understood that it wasn't about him. If you need any more evidence of that, go back to the book of Acts when Paul says, For me, right, as for me, I must finish, accomplish the race that the Lord Jesus has given me. It wasn't about him anymore. Brothers and sisters, if you have Jesus, it's not about you anymore. You've all been made part of a royal commission to seek and save, right? Not seek and destroy. That's the way that the world wants to talk, right? Seek and destroy. Some of us, you know, there's music albums about that, and I kind of tipped my hat somewhat. But we are seeking and saving a force in this world that is unknown by any other form of history. A kingdom that cannot be toppled. And by the way, not cannot, will not be toppled. Because it's not about Redwood Christian Church. It's not about Matt Phipps. It's not about the churches across the rest of the valley. It's about the church. And it says in in the book of Matthew, right, it says that what? For this reason, right? Go unto all the earth creating disciples or making disciples right baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey all that i have commanded you and lo i am with you to the end of the earth so what does that mean we we use that word disciple right i said it the other week it means pupil it means student of and i talked about it Last week, I think it was, and I talked about less of, of being a, a student in the sense of what we look at in an academic sense, but actually to be a student in the, in the sense of an imitator of. Like, I don't know about you, but who taught you how to change the oil in your car? For me, it was my dad, right? Right? And what's fascinating about it is my dad didn't sit me down and and throw out the Chiltons for the 65 Mustang that we had or the 678 Volkswagen Rabbit that I had or the 63 Dart that I had here when I was in Grants Pass. Any of that. No. My dad at some point took me with him, brought me close into his life. He handed me a wrench He handed me a socket set, he handed me the oil pan, and he said, do this, and showed me what it was that I was supposed to do. Thus, I was being discipled by my father. When my dad discipled me in golf, which didn't take very well, (laughs) showed me what to do, but then I just did my own thing, and that's why I don't have a good golf game but he took me with him. My grandmother, oh, my grandmother, and I know some of you knew my grandmother, she was the best at discipling because she just brought me with her. My grandfather, Howard, he he showed me how to put a nail on wood and swing a hammer at it so I could imitate what he did. Brothers and sisters, as we get into this uh, so what about us type of moment, I'm not asking the, the worship team to come up here, but what is the mystery of the gospel is that we can make disciples of one another. And that happens in two different ways, right? There's, there's the making disciples, you don't have to get up here yet, guys, sorry, I still have a few few minutes. You can get up closer and then, no, sorry, I apologize. But there's two forms of this, right? There's making disciples in the sense of those who are outsiders who need to be brought in, right? And and I can ask you, right, are there still a lot of people out there that need to be brought in to Christ? More so today than maybe in the past, or or maybe it's the same. I'm not sure of the statistics, and statistics can lie sometimes, right? But there are still those who belong to the outside world that need to be brought into christ they need to be made disciples baptized in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and taught to obey all that i have commanded you jesus says right how do you do that how do you do that i could ask you do you think you can debate with them maybe maybe to be fair and be honest right maybe but unless you interrupt their worldview, I don't know that they would necessarily come to Christ. I think about Paul here, right? Where was he? He was in this Greek word, right? It means every fiber of his being was in hatred towards Christians. Did God interrupt his life? Did Jesus interrupt Paul? I wonder when Matthew was sitting in the tax booth, did Jesus interrupt Matthew? I wonder if there was like a long line of people who were just like, I can't believe i got to give more money to Rome. And here comes Jesus like, hey, I want to have dinner with you. Notice that. Notice that, brothers and sisters. Jesus didn't come and say, here's a pamphlet, by the way, I'm going to be teaching a lecture later. No. He said simply, I want to have dinner at your house. And this one guy, Matthew, who had been ostracized from society because of his own choice, right? he'd been ostracized from all of his Jewish friends and his family and all these things because he chose to ally himself with Rome. The Messiah came to him and said, I want to eat at your house. And Matthew's life was changed. Peter John, or Peter and Andrew, James, John, what were they doing when Jesus came to them? They were doing their daily work. They were fishing. And even to the point that Jesus had introduced himself and then he comes back around, right, when he's going to preach at the Sea of Galilee, and he says, Put off a little bit. Peter's like, I've been out to the sea all night and caught nothing. Jesus' is like, Yeah, I know. Just trust me. Put out just a little bit. Hey, by the way, could you throw your net in? Seriously, Jesus? Puts his net in there and catches a load of fish they asked to call his cousins over or his possibly cousins, James and John, to help pull it in. And those four guys' life was changed because Jesus interrupted their day my friends, with those who are outsiders in the sense that they're not disciples yet, I'm gonna simply tell you, interrupt people's days. People should know whose you are. My mom always used to say, and she still says from time to time, but less these days, remember, Matt, who you are and whose you are. Brothers and sisters, Christians, we often get this idea that people want to know, people seem to know what we stand against far more than who we stand for. And certainly there, we side on the side of truth and righteousness and all these things, right? But if people don't know who saved your soul, how will they ever know Jesus? When you go to the gym. You should be talking about what was talked about in church. And that's not for me. Right? Don't do it because I told you to do it. Do it because you were excited about what Jesus did for you. Tell people. There are people going to hell right now that need to know that Jesus loved them and died for them. And we're annoyed at them. Because they operate like the world does. Well, of course they do. They haven't been introduced to Jesus. People need to know who your master is. Not what you stand against. Brothers and sisters, that's for those who are outside the church. But what about the disciples in the second sense? How do we continue to grow to be more like Christ? What I I might say is not always popular with some people, but I don't think it's about a class. I don't think it's a book that you can purchase from the Christian bookstore and say, if we just do this, that is going to fix all of our problems. Lest there would have been one curriculum written like almost 2,000 years ago and we'd still be using that. It wouldn't be rooted. It wouldn't be this thing. It wouldn't be that thing. It wouldn't be these things, right? But what did Jesus do? He just lived life with 12 dudes. And not just 12, but there was a lot of other people who were following him around. But at its core, it was 12 guys. And what I love about it is you go through the gospel, right? There's never a time that Jesus said, now sit down, shut up, and listen. Maybe it's there. Maybe I'm just not translating it the right way. But Jesus used opportunity after opportunity of daily life to teach teach them to obey him in the sense of becoming an imitator of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you want to see your children know Christ more? Let them see Christ in you. When you, just like I talked about when my dad brought me close, and I know some of you didn't have good dads or or whatever, didn't have any example of that in growing up, become that example because of what Christ has done for you. Show your son how to change the oil. Show your daughter how to change the oil, by the way, too. But more importantly than all that, show them what it means to forgive when somebody has offended you. Show them what it means to love, not because it's easy to love, but when somebody becomes hard to love. Sounds like a piece of the gospel that was written, think in Matthew, right? You see, becoming a disciple of Christ takes somebody who is an emissary of the kingdom to come and interrupt your life. We all had that person. We've all had that person and we will all be that person one way or the other, right? Somebody along the lines in your life before you became a follower of Christ said, I'm going to spend time with you. And maybe you ride in a vehicle with them and, and you don't ever even bring up a Bible verse, but through that it leads them to maybe wonder about you and your life and why is your life different than mine? Why is it that when you face death, you don't face it the same way that I face death why is it when there's drama at the workplace or the place you volunteer the place you work out that you don't seem to get involved in that drama why is that now what do you have but a primed pump to talk about Jesus Christ who saved your life and not only just saved your life but made you different but we get into the church and then that's it boom we baptize all right woo! there's a party we used to sing the song, uh, now I belong to Jesus, right? That song? Some of you know that song? I don't, I don't care if we sing that song, by the way. It's nostalgic and cool, right? But I care far more about that person after they've been baptized and what we're going to do with them. Brothers and sisters, grab hold of them. The weather's changing, right? You reach for a coat when it's cold. We need to grab hold of people who have become followers of Christ. And we need to not just grab hold of them, saying, let's take them to a class. Let's have lunch. Let's call. Let's talk to each other. Let's go golf. Let's go to the coffee shop. Let's go wherever. Let's do life together. Twelve men wandered the wilderness with Jesus for three and a half years. After Jesus leaves, he sends his Holy Spirit. The gospel goes out to all these people and on one day, 3,000 men became believers in Jesus Christ. One day. And what does it say in the book of Acts that they started doing? They started selling everything, right? That's crazy. I'm not asking you to, by the way. That's crazy, isn't it? They started giving of everything that they had and they started dumping it at the apostles' feet and said, I don't know what to do with it, but distribute it as the Lord sees fit to those who are in need. And people in droves were following Christ. And it says, and I love this, the numbers are so absolutely unknown because it says, and they were daily adding to their body, it was just growing. There was no plan. There was no class. There was nothing. They were just, I don't know what to do, but all these people are coming, and I know Jesus wants them. And brothers and sisters, as our worship team comes forward now, sorry about that, by the way, (laughs) Jesus still wants those people. So if I leave you with one thing this week, go out and interrupt somebody's life Be involved. Be intentional. And we will see disciples come to know the Lord. And it's not about Redwood, but we will see growth here like we have not seen in years. And people will know Jesus. And in the end, isn't that the best goal that we could have? Please stand as we sing this next song.